Hello, everyone. My goodness. I, almost, I really choked. <laughs> almost cannot preach. Okay, anyway. Uh, blessed Sunday to all of us here. And, uh, well, I love Christmas. How about you? Okay, it's in a season, right? There's always something special uh, because the message of the good news is everywhere. And this is one of those times that we can share, we can proclaim, we can really be um, kind of like a thick skin about it, right? To say that this is actually the joy of Christmas. What Christmas really meant for all of us here is the good news to everyone. And we can say it to, you know, almost like uh, unashamedly. And I hope that, you know, uh, that's in the tone of how everyone kind of remember Christmas as well. Right? Amen? Okay. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, do, take, do take a walk down Orchard Road. I, and I think that the CCIS program has really put up a great, uh, great witness uh, for all of us. And Wesley is anchoring a, a booth. I don't know whether you've been down. They started yesterday. Do support them. Many of them put in a lot of hard work and effort. There'll be performances, uh, people volunteering and serving. So go and uh, bring your friends down, okay? And uh, it's not just about the festive period, but we also want to share with them the experience in our church is uh, where, to bring them to church and invite them for service and so that they can come experience Christmas service with us as well, okay? So do that. Now, there are many passages we can share about Christmas because every single year we share Advent services. We prepare people for services uh, for Christmas and um, it's very hard to churn out a new sermon every single time. But as Lord speaks, we believe that he speaks to our hearts individually and corporately. Um, why, can we, why can we do that? Because there's so much to share. Christianity is such a... You, it's not just a unique faith. It's a faith that um, comes from prophecies foretold 700 years before Jesus came. And that's the privilege we have. And that's how much we have. Okay? And because many of them were fulfilled by Jesus as it came along, it gives us credibility to know that because Jesus fulfilled many of them, the rest of them will be fulfilled when he comes. So that's how we prepare ourselves for Christmas. That's actually in the season of Advent. We point and look at Christ. We point and look at how, uh, what he's going to do. And that's how we prepare for his coming. So will you join me in prayer? Even as we hear his word. Come, let's pray. Lord Jesus, teach us how to prepare, how to wait for you. As we hear your words to us, realign our perspectives, our hearts, our worldviews according to your purposes, according to how you want us to see. May the words of my mouth, meditations of all our hearts, be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The world is split into two kinds of people. Those who like roller coaster and those who don't. Right? So those who love Liverpool and those who can't okay, okay, don't go there. How many of you are roller coaster fans? Raise your hands. Okay. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, the rest of you, I take it that you are... Never mind, okay? Uh, I'm a roller coaster fan. That's all that matters, okay? I'm preaching this session here. Now, uh, um, I, I love roller coasters. I've taken quite a lot of roller coasters in, in my life, including the one at USS Singapore, uh, countless times. It spins me around. Uh, I like to consider myself a very seasoned 
roller coaster. Is there such a name, right? Rider, rider. Oh, seasoned rider. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Um, now I was away recently. I was away recently, and I had the opportunity to take one of uh, a new one they have never experienced before. So, as a seasoned rider, I think no problem. Ah, okay, sure can one. Okay. Uh, in fact, the USS one spins me around and say that okay, okay, it's a bit like you know, uh, I need something more challenging. So I didn't really pay attention to the pre-ride instructions. And I believe that. As long as I'm strapped in, I don't move. When it flips, I stay in. That's all that matters, right? Correct? Just go for it, right? And I was sitting beside my daughter. And she was all excited too because same, right? It's the same club. And we were talking and uh, I was looking at her saying, okay, we're going to have fun together. And all of a sudden, the ride just took off, you know, zoom. And my goodness, this ride spin... uh, Right from the start, the moment it zoomed off, okay, before I could catch my breath, it started to throw, throw me around, spin me in all directions, facing forward, facing backwards, upside down, right side up, okay, and twisting and spiraling, and it moved forward and backwards. And before I knew it, okay, and I could collect my senses, it stopped. And I was like, what was that, my... I totally didn't enjoy it. And guess what? I spit all over my face, okay? I was like... I was so distracted. It's... it's I didn't even see anything, okay? Uh, I'm quite sure it was my spit, okay? Anyway, <laughs> uh, in my mind, I was like, what kind of roller coaster was that? And my daughter felt the same way. And both of us realized that we were totally not prepared at all. It was one of the worst rides ever. It's like, what just happened? So, we went to queue again, okay? <laughs> and this time round, okay, I look at her, don't talk to me, <laughs> straight, okay? And we just sat there, we waited, and we listened to every single thing. Our neck, my neck was postured, I was like, okay, ready? And they strapped us in, our heads look ahead, mouth closed. Ain't nothing going to come out, okay? And as I expected, we took off. We were on the lookout. It spun us around. Okay, our bodies moved with a turn and a flip. We could enjoy this time all the scenery that the ride took us to. It was, whoa, one of the best rides ever. Much better experience okay, with all the spinning. And by the time it ended, same thing. My face was dry. <laughs> Okay, so there was a good ride and a bad ride. Now, am I sharing this story? This story, this um, is birth out of this roller coaster, right? Yeah. And I knew I have a sermon after this. Uh, okay, uh, maybe some of us here, you are so familiar with the story of Christmas. We take this for granted. And we have the same right every single year. And when God shows us something new about Christmas, we don't really get it. Now, what's the difference between a good right and a bad right? What do you think was the difference? That made a difference for me. It's how prepared I was, right? Same thing, okay? If we don't prepare ourselves for Christmas, we will miss the message totally. So in the passage that we're going to show, I'm going to share today, I've chosen Isaiah. 
It's actually quite tough to preach from Isaiah. But um, it has a better appreciation for those who experience. And if you understand how the people have been preparing for the Messiah all these years, you will know when it comes how it's like. So what prophet Isaiah wrote okay, in chapters 60, 61 and 62 tells of the experience of people, what they will experience, just like how what our experience, if they prepare themselves for the deliverance and when the Messiah comes, what they will go through. Okay? But if you're not prepared, you would not understand. So don't forget that Isaiah, uh, Prophet Isaiah, um, in his time, there was a lot of oppression. He was under foreign rule. The people are experiencing great suffering. So chapter 61 and 62 describes the state of those who are prepared, waiting upon the Lord, and when it comes, what's going to happen. Okay? And that's the significance for us as we prepare in this season for Christmas. Okay? It's not a Christmas sermon. It's an advent to prepare us to look forward to Christmas. What is going to happen? Let me read these eight verses for us. Okay? And then hopefully... Uh, you understand what it says. So, Isaiah 61, just eight verses. And in uh, 1, 4, 8 to 11. The good news of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them the crown, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. And all will see them uh, all who see them will acknowledge that they are a people of the Lord, the pe- a people the Lord has blessed. Del- I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of His righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and the gardens causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. These are the words of God. Thanks be to God. Now you understand how okay, it's going to be like, that's the experience of how uh, uh, the prophet Isaiah writes. Now, so I'm going to give you the plot here. So this is what I'm going to share up front uh, and how we prepare for it. I'll talk about the work of the Messiah, what the Messiah is going to do, the people of the Messiah and the experience they will go through with the Messiah. So these are the three points. And what are the expectations of the people who are waiting for the Messiah? Okay, so that kind of hope to speak to all of us here. So very quick one. The first, let's start with the first. So what is the work of the Messiah? Remember, this is in Isaiah. Jesus has not yet come. They have no idea. Okay, our hindsight is that we know who it is. So it's quite familiar uh, how it's like. So this is very obvious. 
Isaiah is prophesying, or in modern times we don't use uh, prophesying so much, we use foretelling as well, okay? So these are the two words. Isaiah is foretelling of a time when the Messiah will come and preach good news to the poor. This is the first thing, okay? The work of the Messiah is to bring good news, preach good news to the poor, and this is where the verse is, how does it do that? It will bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release darkness for the prisoners, to comfort all who mourn. Now, for the longest time, Israel, ancient Israel, was in captivity. And of course, they always associate their oppression and suffering okay, to their sin and their idolatry. They will think that, oh, because God is punishing me uh, in the time of Isaiah, they are still under foreign rule, right? Even though they return from exile. God is still punishing me. We are not really restored yet because we have departed from the Lord throughout history, right? Or their sin. So ancient Israelites will continue to perform rituals to become righteous. That's part of their gig and that's part of what they do. But there was, Prophet Isaiah says, when in verse 11, when the Messiah, the sovereign Lord comes, the Lord will make righteousness, okay? And praise, uh, and the spray, and praise will spring up from all nations. And that's what the Lord will do. What is He going to do? He's going to do something that you and I can't do for ourselves. He's going to make you righteous. Not with your righteousness, but with His own righteousness. So this is what He'll do. He will make one righteous with His own righteousness. No longer by our own efforts. So you are going to be righteous because of what the Messiah did. Now we all kind of know that, right? Because we have the privilege of history and we know that. Who is this Messiah? Hello guys, come on. Okay, Who is this person? Jesus, right? right. So we know. We know something that Isaiah doesn't. So the first thing he will do is quite obvious. He will make one righteous with his own righteousness. Second thing also, he will deliver his people from Babylon and they will deliver Babylon into his people, okay, uh, to his people. So it's quite, this, this, this is not a easy concept to grasp. Um, we didn't read this two verses, but I'll show you what it means. It says here, strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work for your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord, and you'll be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Now, the way you read this today, okay, uh, it's not so much about how Babylon is as enemies, okay, will serve you, right? Correct? Or shepherds will serve you. Um, but how... Babylon, as the work of the evil one, is a representation of the era that uh, was, was holding Israel oppression in Isaiah's time. Will no long, evil will no longer prevail because justice and righteousness will be restored. So that's how it's meant to be read. Okay? Uh, so he will deliver his people from oppression and Babylon, his people, okay, will be released from their oppression. That's how it's supposed to be read. And the third point is this. He will grant freedom to all who are distressed and in trouble for any reason, including sin. 
very interesting. Now, in the Old Testament times, don't forget Prophet Isaiah, sin, okay? They thought that as a sinful person, they got to do work, okay? To help them cleanse of their sin. But God will do it for them, grant them freedom, and also restore them, uh, and also take trouble away from them, including sin. So this is a concept that for them is unimaginable. It is not just those who are financially or materially poor, okay? Even the rich, even in those times, many of them are distressed. Now, in the past one month alone, let me say this, okay? Even though I was away, I was back, yeah, past six months, you have no idea the amount of stories and prayers that I've heard this year alone, past six months in the past one year, about distressed families, distressed couples, distressed marriages, Many of them came and asked for prayers, you know, right at the altar, right also to pastoral consultations. And even in camps and retreats, they were saying this, say that, Pastor, can you please pray for me? Can you please help me? Because I would trade all my wealth if God were just to restore my family or my relationships. Because there's the pain that's caused by them in their hearts. Either uh, the loss of loved ones uh, and strange relationships, yeah, let me say this, money can't buy true happiness. You have no idea. But the work of the Savior here will grant freedom to all who suffer. And that's what, uh, that's what the, the promise of Isaiah will do. These are what the Messiah will do. He doesn't just preach it, not like me, but he will be the good news and he's able to give what he announces. And that's what he'll do. And of course, now, on hindsight, as we look back, not all are fulfilled completely, but we know some parts are fulfilled already and the completion of the fulfillment will come. Who is this person that we now have in hindsight of history that has performed these three works? Everybody? Jesus, right, okay. How do we know? Because... In Luke 4, New Testament, if you read the verses here, Jesus actually spoke, you know, quoted from Isaiah this same passage. And that's why he said, you know, uh, those who delight in me, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind a broken hearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release, for darkness, release darkness for the prisoners. He read Isaiah and the last thing he said was this, Today, scripture has been fulfilled. That's in Luke 4. That's what Christmas meant for us. is to remember who Jesus is. And my role here is to point you, hopefully today, after this sermon, you understand, it, re, it re, recalibrate your lens to tell you that this is what Christmas is all about. Because of what he did and how our experience is going to be. This is what he will do for the poor. He will set them free. Now, next question may be, who are the poor in Isaiah? Who are the poor that Isaiah is talking about? I'm going on to the next point. The poor are those, okay, the people of the Messiah, they are poor, but they are humble in the Lord. Now, it's interesting that maybe when we see the word poor, the thing that come to our hearts is those who are financially poor, materially poor, okay? Um, but you see, who are the poor? 
the poor, if you think that they are financially poor, materially poor, then they don't really need the good news. Uh. What they need is money, right? But as I say, good news to the poor, you know, and the word poor is not those who are financially like, you know, or materially poor, but those who are afflicted, oppressed, needy, they are tormented and weak. And the way the word means in the original language is those who can't help themselves and they are forced to be humbled and to say that I need something greater to deliver me, to help me. And that's what Isaiah is uh, pointing. The people of the Messiah is in that state. Their state of oppression forces them to become humble, unpretentious, honest about their suffering. To a point that they can put down their pride and arrogance to become honest about what they're going through. I realize that today, many of us are financially struggling, materially struggling, but we are super prideful. We are not poor, according to scripture. But if you want the work of the Messiah to be effective upon us, you need to be poor. You need to acknowledge, okay, that there's a lot of things you can't achieve and you need God to help us. See, the Lord's grace is so extensive here. Scholars are amazed because the grace is so extensive that even those who commit the unpardonable sin in the eyes of everyone, this is what scholars also is surprised. God will set them free. It's like if you think that you have so much wrongdoing, you are so bad in the eyes of everyone, Isaiah says, this is how the Lord will do. The Lord will declare a year of favor that he will accept them in spite of their committed sin as long as they are repented. As long as they are repentant. Okay? This is actually the good news that we have. The people of the Messiah, how God will save. Okay? Now, Wesleyan professor John Oswald said this. Uh, he's actually one of the best commenters uh, of Isaiah. And I think that you know, he wrote one of the best commentaries uh, for, for the book of Isaiah. And he puts it this way. Describes those who are so broken by life and they have no more heart to try. Those who are so bound up in their various addictions that uh, liberty and release are a cruel marriage. They are uh, those who think that they will never again experience the favor of the Lord or to see his just vengeance meted out against those who have misused them. Those who think that their lives hold nothing more than ashes, sackcloth, and fainting heaviness of despair. I don't know how many of you are in this category. Some of us here, you are experiencing hardship, you know. Um, and I've come across quite a few stories in, in this year of people coming to me and they, the pain in their heart, the grief that they are going through, the oppression that they have is unbearable. But yet, he's the one that says this, these are they whom the Messiah will shout, good news! And that's what Isaiah is writing about. Only a king that is greater than sin can make this announcement to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for all who grieve and to crown one with a crown of beauty. So I hope now, at least now, you get a better picture of the salvation that you have in Christ, 
of what Jesus will do, the work of the Messiah, and what it takes to be the people of the Messiah. A reflection for us here. Are you preparing well for Christmas? Are you striving to be righteous by your own standards? I want to be good, Lord. I'm good. Are you stuck in a Babylonian environment where you're under oppression? Are you in distress for any reason, even frustrated by stubborn sins in your life? Friends, maybe it's time to acknowledge that you need something greater to ask Jesus for help because his job is to deliver. Maybe God is speaking to us at this moment about a condition in our hearts. I'm going to invite you to respond now, right in the middle of the sermon. Okay? And let's see what God is speaking to us. I want you to go to Slido. Just when you think you don't have, right? Okay. Okay. Maybe for some of us here, God is speaking. Now scan the QR code. And I want to hear from you. Throughout the whole sermon, this is what God will do, the work of the Messiah, how he will set people free, who he will save. And the people of the Messiah. What is God saying to you? How you prepare for Christmas. What God is saying to you right now. Some of the responses are coming in. Let me show the results for all of us here. There are people who are still coming in and that's good. Okay. And let's see. To be holy, to trust and obey. Surrender, to keep the faith, to be faithful. These are all our responses here. To surrender. That's right. To pray, to trust in Him, to recharge, to focus on what is important, and to remember that bondage has set me free and I can rejoice. To come to Jesus, all who struggle to enter into His presence daily. You're making my preaching really, really good. Thank you so much, okay? This is how it's like. The hope that we have. And I hope that you are encouraged to know that you are not alone, even as you prepare for Christmas. Okay? Now I'm going to leave the poll open. You can continue to respond on your phone. So we know the work of the Messiah, the people of Messiah. Do you know what the experience is going to be like when the Messiah returns? Isaiah says this, okay? So what is it going to be like? It's going to be like a perfect Eternal marriage. <laughs> and that's how the metaphor is. Now, I don't know how you feel towards marriage, right? Because in modern times, marriage is a construct, right? Uh, may have, uh, may not have the most positive experience. But let me say this, okay? Some of us here long for that perfect marriage, that perfect companion. Maybe some of us here, you are still single. Uh, and, and you struggle with this concept. 
But let me say this. The concept of marriage is actually of biblical origin. And the Bible uses marriage. Okay? I'll be preaching about it this whole year, how God designed marriage to be. It was designed by God to be that metaphor of a perfect union and how relationships ought to work. It's actually a Christian uh, concept. Marriage in biblical terms is always a union onto holiness and oneness. And in the ancient Near East, in the times of the Old Testament, marriage is described as a process of celebration okay, that prepares one, uh, the male and the female, the broom, uh, the groom, broom, groom, okay, and the uh, bride for union. And there's so much symbolism okay, in biblical culture, ancient biblical culture. So according to scholars, in ancient times, the weeks leading up to this consummation of marriage, right, is celebration and rejoicing. They want everybody to know, no, it's a public display uh, of how the union comes. Uh, men in one area, women in one area. Now, on the day of wedding, the bride was led to the groom, okay, in a dress prepared by the groom, the bride to wear the dress prepared by the groom to come to her, to come to him. And then there's another round of feasting. Now, marriages in a time of desolation is a reminder of this concept called covenant that points each other to hope that you know, uh, in the desolation, in, in a time of exile, everything is gloom, gloom okay, uh, gloom, sorry, gloom, right? Uh, and you have a marriage and celebration. You look forward to something and it's celebrated in the covenantal type okay, of relationship. That there's the permanence of hope. So it doesn't just point to one another because of biblical concepts of marriage, it is God-centric. It also builds upon this framework of how perpetual eternal marriage is going to be. So, of course, Scripture uses this marriage metaphor to describe how the experience is when the Messiah comes. And let me show this to you. And it says this, I delight, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices with my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of His righteousness. As just like a bridegroom adorns his head, like a priest and a bride adorns herself uh, with her jewels. There'll be great delight and rejoicing. That's how scripture is. Now, friends, let me be specific here. You and I, when the Messiah returns, you'll be clothed. We will be clothed with garments of salvation and we'll be adorned okay, on the rope of righteousness. There'll be dancing and rejoicing. But the heart, the way we are happy, it is not because of the salvation or the robe of righteousness that we are wearing. These are gifts, you know. It's easy to be caught up with the gifts. Salvation and righteousness are benefits that we will wear. But the delight is not because of the benefits. You don't come to Jesus because of the benefits. No. Isaiah writes in a way, the gifts, these are gifts that you'll be given and crowned, like ornaments on the priesthood and jewelry on the bride. Don't get married for the benefits. That's not how scripture des describes it. The greatest delight and rejoicing comes when the Messiah returns is because of who the groom is going to be. Do you understand? Salvation and righteousness are garments prepared for us. And when Jesus returns, those who are one with Him will greatly rejoice and be delighted because they are joining themselves 
perpetually in eternity with God. That's how it's going to be like. According to scripture in verse 8, it says this, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery, wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. That's the imagery of what's coming for those who wait on the Lord. How does that sound? That sounds awesome. And that's who Jesus represents for us, friends. That's why Christmas is so important and significant. It's not about the gifts, not about celebration, not about the jewels, but about who Jesus is, about he means for those who believe and wait upon him. So a quick summary here, okay, the three points, the work of the Messiah, bring good news to the poor, the people of the Messiah, poor but humble in the Lord, experience with the Messiah, a perfect eternal marriage. And the invitation is open for all still yet to believe in Jesus. And I hope that it reaches out to you because this is our God. This is what we believe in and that's what we're preparing for in Christmas. And I invite you to come and hear him. Okay, one more point I want to conclude as a reminder for all of us here. So what are the expectations from all of us here? What are expectations as people of the Messiah? This is for a lot. Let me read these three verses for us. And they will rebuild the ancient ruin and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And we've also covered these two. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work for your fields and vineyards. And you'll be called priests of the Lord and you'll be named ministers of God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Now let me say this. Strangers and foreigners are people who are unfamiliar with God. They don't have a direct relationship with God. Although these words were given in the time of Isaiah, okay, and the people under foreign rule, let me say this. Scholars have also noted that the mighty Babylonian Assyrian Empire, to, uh, to these two empires, great empires, scholars had this to say. History, throughout history, it may have seemed that the gods of nations are greater than the gods of Israel. But as history continues to unfold, even in the last 2,000 years, there is one thing that is unmistakably clear. History started to fulfill these prophecies. Assyria, Babylon, great, uh, the Greco-Roman Empire, Persian Empire have come and go. They are piles of dust now. But Christianity, in spite of endless war and destructions, wherever the people of God go, whether they are Jews or Christians, have become a place of thriving nation. God and his purposes are final determining factors of continuing all and perpetual persistence. The opposite is true. No matter how ruined Christianity or the church have been, destroyed, they will be rebuilt. And no matter how terrible desolation is, Christianity will continue to spring up. What is the lesson for all of us here? Friends, don't become strangers and foreigners to God. For us as His people, never be impatient to go after other gods. For only one God has remained faithful and true over time. Jesus is the one worth waiting for. Amen. So let's remind ourselves about Christmas, who Jesus is, and be faithful. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for reminding us who you are, the work you have done. Teach us not to be distracted by the ways of the world, 
but to be humble and faithful to you. You are the only one that can truly deliver us from all our brokenness and sin. And just like how you have been faithful to your people in the past, you now call us as your bride, as you clothe us with salvation and righteousness. So we wait upon your revelation, your return. And in this time, teach us to remain faithful because our hope is in you and you alone. You are the only one worth waiting for. You are king worthy to rule in our hearts. Thank you for loving us and we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.